you glad Jesus loves us? Okay, four people are happy about that. <clears throat> Try it one more time. Aren't you glad Jesus loves us? In spite of ourself and our sin. Welcome to First Baptist Church of Milton. We're thankful that you're here today for our time of worship. It's good to have guests with us. We're glad you're here. We hope you make yourself at home and join us in worship. And I oftentimes assure our guests that we give the best naps in Santa Rosa County on Sunday morning. And if you don't believe that, I can give you a list of people in this room right now that you can ask and they can testify to it. But I am glad that you're here to worship. We'd love to get the chance to know you as our guest. You can find a connect card at the pew in front of you. Take just a couple of minutes to complete that card. Then when you leave here today, you can bring that to me. I'll be at the next step desk, or you can drop that in the offering receptacles as you leave. So we'll just love to have a record of your visit. We're talking about worship, aren't we, as we are starting our year off. And one of the things that we uh, want to do, one of the goals of our time as we talk about this, this idea of worship is to, to, to kind of help you understand that, that worship, it, it can be offered to God from a genuine and sincere heart, and there are a lot of externals of our worship that uh, are just that. They are externals. And one of the things that we do in our external worship that is kind of those variables that don't really have an impact is the order in which we have our worship service. For example, did you know that nowhere in Scripture does it sing, does it say that you must sing for 20 minutes then have a sermon? That's not... That's it's not even the book of Hezekiah, you won't find it, even in that lost book of the Bible. That, that there's no prescribed way that, that tells us that this must be, that this must happen, and this must happen, and this must happen. And so I know that we as Baptists are creatures of habit, and we are, are creatures of form and function. Sometimes you just got to flip the script, and sometimes what my job is is to do something that we don't normally do to stress the true idea of what worship is, to, to get us out of maybe uh, the ruts that we can fall into. And so this morning, Morning, we're, we're doing that. We're flipping the script. We're going to have the, the sermon first, and then we're going to have our time of singing and worship, but also because I'm speaking to you today about praising the Lord, PTL. And, and oftentimes when we stand up here and I holler for, for 30 minutes, and uh, then we stand and we sing one song that allows you to respond to God in that way. Well, today, we're again flipping the script so that I'm going to share with you why we should praise the Lord, and then we're going to spend a few minutes doing just that, praising the Lord. Now, another one of the things that we do uh, to express our worship to God is to respond to Him for who He is and what He's done, and we'll see that this morning. And one of the ways that we do that oftentimes is through the observing of community. Union. This is the fifth Sunday, and generally our tradition here at First Baptist Church is every fifth Sunday to set aside some time to observe communion. The Apostle Paul talks about this in the book of Corinthians, where he says, as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you do show forth the Lord's death until he comes. When we observe communion, we are proclaiming the Lord's death. We are worshiping him by responding to his grace that's been given to us in our lives. So as you came in today, now the thing about communion, uh, we don't force anyone to participate. If you don't want to participate in communion, 
Fine, don't participate. We also open communion up to to anyone who has a relationship with Jesus and is part of a a church that loves and follows Jesus. You don't have to be a member here, but if you have a relationship with Jesus and you're part of a church of Jesus that loves Jesus, you're more than welcome to participate in this communion with us. So as you came in today, there were some baskets and there were some deacons holding some baskets where you could have picked up a communion set. If you did not pick one of those up and you'd like one to participate, just be Pentecostal for just a second and stick your hand there and wave it. All right, a few Pentecostals here. We've got some deacons who are going to be bringing you. Keep, just keep your hands up until our deacons get it to you, and they're going to get those to you so you can participate in this as well. Again, as they're distributing those, let me remind you that the reason we do this is an act of worship. Worship is our response to what we value the most, to who we value the most. Worship is our response to what Jesus has done for us. It's our response to who God is for us. And in communion, we remember our Lord's death. We ponder and think about his sacrifice, and we respond to that by offering him worship. If you look at the worship elements that you have, these elements are similar to the ones that we've used in the past. You may just want to go ahead and, and take off the top layer of that to expose the bread. And this bread is symbolic of the body of Jesus. There's nothing supernatural or special that's going to happen when you take this bread. It doesn't become Jesus in our bodies or anything like that. It's just a very symbolic act in which we recognize this being the body of Jesus. For you see, Jesus gathered with his disciples way back right before he was crucified. And as he gathered those disciples together, they sat down at a table. And they had bread and they had fruit of the vine. And Jesus, knowing that his time was near, knowing what he was going to experience, he wanted to establish what we call the Lord's Supper. And it tells us in Matthew chapter 26 that as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after he blessed it, he broke it to symbolize how his body would be broken on the cross for us. And he gave it to his disciples and said, take eat, this is my body. You have another cup that is of juice. Carefully remove the lid of it if you would. This juice symbolizes the blood of Jesus. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Jesus, they use super glue, I'm sorry, to get get the lid on there. And as Jesus stood with those disciples that day, sat with them, having eaten the bread, they would be reminded of his body, which was to be broken. And then he took that cup, the cup that contained the fruit of the vine, and that cup was to symbolize his blood. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many 
for the forgiveness of sins. If you look at your pew, there's a holder for you to place that cup in, and we'll pick those up after the service. Now, having thought about that, having just observed this communion, to think about the body of Jesus which was broken for us, and the blood of Jesus which was spilled on our behalf, it causes us to give thanks to God. When we think about how Jesus died for us, our only response can be to give thanks. And so today we say, Father, we're thankful that you sent your son Jesus to die for our sins. We're thankful that he offered his body and his blood. We're thankful for his sacrifice, which makes it possible for us to have eternal life today. And Father, in response to who Jesus is, in response to what he has done for us, may we give you praise in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. See, observing communion is one way in which we give praise to God, but we're also called to give praise in other ways. In fact, if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Psalm 150. Psalm 150 is the last psalm in this book of Psalms, in this holy hymn book that God has given us. As we flip the script today and as we prepare to to look at this idea of of praise of the Lord, your temptation is going to be okay when the preacher's finished, we're finished. That's not the case. When I finish, we've just begun. When we finish our sermon today, we're going to praise the Lord in response to what God has done for us. So we're going to look today at, at a sermon I've titled PTL. Praise the Lord. Now, we live in a culture of cliche. You know what a cliche is. A cliche is a a phrase or a statement that is overused. We don't really think about what we're saying. We don't really think about what our words mean when we say them. In fact, I can prove to you that we are a culture of cliches. I will start a cliche, you will finish. That means I speak then I hush, and when I hush, you speak, okay? That's the idea. This is the audience participatory portion of our program, okay? Cliches that we use all the time. Money can't buy. Better late than. Nice guys finish. If you can't take the heat, (laughs) this too shall. Y'all say that every Sunday sermon time, this too shall pass. (laughs) Now, you, you responded to all of that without thinking about it. I mean, it just, it, 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 it came out. It's wrote, it came out. You did not have to consider one thing. You just merely said it. We also live in a Christian cliche culture. We'll hear people say things all the time, like when God closes a door, he opens a a window. Or we'll hear people say, you're never safer than when you're in God's will. Or we'll hear the cliche, let go and let God, or, or God will not give you more than you can handle. Or the one that really gets my goat, God helps those who help themselves. 
We say these things all the time without ever thinking about them. And one of the phrases that has become somewhat of a cliche is PTL, praise the Lord. We use it when something good happens. Maybe a kid gets a good grade in school and we PTL, we praise the Lord. We even post it on social media. When something spiritual happens, maybe a prodigal comes home and we say praise the Lord. We even have have an emoji for it so we don't have to go to the trouble of typing out three small words or even smaller still, three little letters. We got this emoji which when we see it means praise the Lord. Now I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with using PTL in those contexts. I'm just showing you how the words praise the Lord can become a cliche or a catchphrase that we use without ever really thinking about it or considering what we're saying. Yet the last five psalms in this holy hymn book, the book of Psalms, each begin with the phrase, praise the Lord. And each psalm increases in praise and joy as we reach the final chapter, the final division in this book, Psalm 150, praise the Lord. For the psalmist, PTL was not a, a cliche. It was an expression of joy. In fact, he used the word 13 times in six short verses. Look at Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine, uh-oh, and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. P-T-L, the psalmist is saying. Praise the Lord. What does it mean to praise the Lord? If it's mentioned 13 times in six verses, we need to understand what we're being called to do. It's very simple. The word praise is based on a Hebrew word, which means to be boastful. It means to shine. The word praise means to prize and to celebrate. When we praise, we are boasting about something or someone who has worth. Therefore, in the context of our relationship with God, to praise the Lord means that we prize him. We shine the spotlight on him. We boast about him because he is worthy. We boast on our great God. Now, once we understand what we're called to do, this repeated command to praise the Lord, the psalmist helps us understand a few more details about that calling. To help us grasp this, let me just quickly share with you or ask a couple of questions, then we'll let the text answer it. We'll 
understand better what it means to praise the Lord, and then we'll praise the Lord, just what we're called and commanded to do. First, where should we praise the Lord? Where? Where should we praise the Lord? Verse 1, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. The Lord is to be praised in his sanctuary. In the book of Psalms, that was a reference to the temple. The temple was the place where God's spirit dwelt among his people. God's spirit in the Old Testament did not dwell in each believer. It dwelled in one place, one locale. Then Jesus came on the scene. Jesus was born. And the presence of God was wrapped up in him because he is God. And the word became flesh. And John 1.14 tells us that that word became flesh and we beheld his glory. That word dwelt among us. The word dwelt in John 1.14 means tabernacle. And so God's spirit was in Jesus on the face of this earth. Well, Jesus died. Jesus was buried. And Jesus rose again. He ascended back to the Father, and then he sent his Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit dwells within us. The Spirit of God, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you belong to Jesus, if you're part of God's family, the Spirit of God dwells within you. You are his sanctuary. We are are the temple of God. God doesn't reside in this auditorium, but he resides within us through the Holy Spirit. Therefore, praise must come from us. We are the sanctuary. We are the ones who are to boast about God. God is to be praised in his mighty heavens. That's the firmament and everything above it. Where should we praise God? Everywhere. Wherever you are, praise because you are the sanctuary of God. Not only where should we praise, but number two, why should we praise the Lord? Why should we praise him? Why should we boast about him? Verse two, praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. There are two simple and sufficient reasons for us to praise the Lord. We should praise the Lord first for what he has done, his mighty deeds. That conveys the idea of the Lord as a champion because the victory has been won. Did you hear me? The Lord, when it says his mighty deeds, We refer to him as the victor because the battle has been won. You may be fighting the battle right now, but the battle's already been won. You may be struggling in the battle, but the battle's already been won. You just have to walk faithfully because God has fought it and God is undefeated. What has God done for you? What's God done for you lately? And if you can't write something down, maybe you don't know him. Because when you know him, he works in your life. When you know him, he shows up. When you know him, he's always at work. Praise him for his mighty deeds, but praise him for who the Lord is. He said to to praise his excellent greatness. Listen, if God were to never lift his finger again to help you, he would still be worthy of our boast and our praise because, because he is our maker, he is our creator, and he is our God. 
we should praise God because of what he is, because of what he does, because of who he is. Third, how should we praise the Lord? How should we do that? I mean, the, the psalmist in verses 3, 4, and 5, he describes an incredible praise band full of instruments in the orchestra that sounded their, out their praise to God. This psalm shows us how the Israelites, they, they used three types of musical instruments they, in, their, in their pinnacle of praise. They used wind instruments and string instruments and percussion. This is not a prescriptive list. It's not saying you must use these, but rather it's a descriptive list. It shows us how everything can be used to worship God. That piano can be placed in a honky-tonk, and can, is that what you still call them? It can be placed in a bar somewhere, and it can play music about how your dog died after your dog went to live with your best friend somewhere. Or that piano can be used in a church to give honor and to give glory to God as it plays notes that point us to our Heavenly Father. Everything can be used to worship God. They used the trumpet, the shofar, the ram's horn that was used in the Old Testament for the most, the most solemn and the grandest events. The giving of the law, the trumpet was there. The coronation of kings, the trumpet was there. The raging of war, the trumpet was there. When Jesus returns, it's preceded by a trumpet. That's why these guys better never hide out and blow the trumpet in the church service. It'll make us a little bit nervous. Because the trumpet will be used to announce the return of Jesus. We go from the explosive expression of praise from the trumpet to the sweet sound of the strings with the lute and the harp. David knew something about playing that harp. They broke out the tambourine, did a little dancing. That's associated with their deliverance from the Red Sea, this form of praise was jubilant. It was expressive. That word dance means a twirl and a twist. I'm glad it doesn't mean rhythm or we'd all be out, but it means a twirl or a twist. It was done in an attitude of protracted praise and adoration as the hands and the feet were both set in motion and the entire body moved in response to God's greatness and his mighty acts of power. Hasn't there been periods of your life when you were so happy at what God had done for you. You were so joyful at who God was. You just felt like dancing a jig in God's presence. That he filled you with that kind of joy. They used the string to the pipe, the flute. Then they got loud again with the cymbals. Hear me. The point is not to give us an acceptable list of instruments or even a preferred list of instruments. The point the psalmist is making is that when we praise God, it should engage our spirit. It should involve our emotions. It should be expressive, whether that expressiveness is in reverence or reverie. It should be done with our mind as we think about what God has done, as we think about who God is. I think the psalmist is telling us, don't sit like a knot on a log when we're called to give praise to our glorious God. Amen. That everything can be used to praise God and everyone is called to praise God. But then question four is who? 
who should praise the Lord? Verse 6, let everything. You know what that means in the Hebrew? I'm about to blow your mind. It means everything. <laughs> everything. Every, all things. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. It can't get any clearer. If you're breathing right now, and a couple I'm wondering, uh, the not, I think they're more sleeping. But if you are breathing right now, you are obligated to praise the Lord. Did you hear that? Again, I don't write the mail. I just deliver it. This verse tells us that everything that has breath is obligated, is commanded, is called to praise the Lord. Therefore, to not praise the Lord is to sin. You're not, if you don't engage in the praise of God, you're not hurting my feelings. That's a transgression of what God has called us to do. Not just the priests, not just the Levites, not even just the congregation, but everything that has breath, the flowers open up and express their life to the God who gives them breath. Let this truth sink into your heart. Every breath you take is given to you by God. You cannot breathe unless God fills your lungs with breath. As Acts 17 28 teaches him, teaches us in him we live and move and have our being. Every breath you take is given to you by God, realizing that that means that we are called to use that breath to give praise to God. It's your breath, Lord, in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. We, we pour out our praise. It's your, breath in, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. Who should praise the Lord? You should praise the Lord. The questions have been answered. What's the implication? Real quick, a couple of implications, and then we're going to praise the Lord. Implication number one, we must answer the call to praise the Lord. This psalm starts with a command to praise the Lord. It ends with a call to praise the Lord. We are to praise him everywhere with every means possible because of his mighty acts and because of who he is. We are to praise him with a wide variety of instrumentation and with triumphant expressions of worship. God desires for us to live a lifestyle of spontaneous praise. The best instrument to praise the Lord is your life surrendered to him. We must answer the call to praise the Lord. Number two, we are to be fully engaged as we praise the Lord. Think back to those verses that talk about the instruments, verses three, four, and five. The breath is used to blow the trumpet and the flute. The fingers are used with the harp and the string. The whole hand hits the tambourine. The feet move in rhythm as they dance. The arms are used to clash those cymbals together. The mind is to be engaged 
as we think about his mighty deeds, as we praise him according to his excellent greatness. Corporate worship. When we gather together, please hear me and hear my heart. Corporate worship is not designed and created to be passive as if it's something we just set back and watch or listen. We are to be actively fully engaged in worship, lifting our praise to God by engaging our head and our heart and our hands. We're to be fully engaged as we praise the Lord. And the third implication we need to take home with us, and I'm taking home with us, we can practice it right here in just a few minutes. We're given the freedom to praise the Lord in different ways. The plurality and the variety of instrumentation in this psalm teaches us that we have the freedom to worship God in different ways. Now you bring out a snake or a chicken or whatever, we'll talk, all right? I'm not saying that we have a free license to, to, to start foaming at the mouth and rolling down the pews. I'm saying within the confines of Scripture of God's holy word, we are given freedom in how we worship God. There isn't just one way to worship, nor is there just one musical style that is acceptable to God. You see, among the followers of Jesus, there is a diversity of musical preferences. There is a diversity of musical interest, and that is a good thing, not a bad thing. Listen again, hear it from my heart. Our calling is not to prove which style of worship or which style of music is right. Our calling is to show grace to those who may choose to worship in ways different from our own. Your calling, your calling is not to critique someone else's worship. Your calling is to worship. Your calling is to praise the Lord. So why don't we put hands and feet and mouths to what we know to be true? Stand up, please. Let's praise the Lord.